Welcome back. Episode four of Desk Talk. I'm Trent Werner. And I'm Alex McGall. And in this episode, I'm going to ask Trent kind of a lot of questions about what he learned in his first real estate investment and kind of his next steps, you know, strategy moving forward and kind of tips that he can provide you guys in return. So I guess to start this off, Trent, like, let's start it off by explaining your situation, the property that you bought, and then I can kind of dig deep into questions and ask you questions from there. Okay. Well, some background real quick. I have wanted to invest in real estate for quite some time. I recently got married and if it it were up to me, I would have lived in a shack and house hacked it and been okay with that, make great cash flow on a monthly basis, all that good stuff. But because my wife has a little bit higher standards than I do, we had to kind of compromise and find something that she was comfortable living in as well as an investment in real estate. So that was a little bit of background. We ended up choosing a duplex in a nice area here in the Portland metro area. We may have overpaid for it a little bit, but our unit was fully renovated. It was nice. So my wife was okay living in there. And I got my real estate investment by buying a duplex as our first purchase. So that's a little bit about why I chose a duplex. I wanted to go something where, I, like I said, I could house hack it. I could do a two, three, or four unit or a single family home and rent out the rooms. Whatever it was going to be, I wanted to house hack something. And so that was a good compromise for both of us. Understanding that you can kind of have, you know, the side piece of one person renting and then you guys, the mortgage is split in half basically. Yeah. yeah. 60, 40, however you want to split that up. I think you kind of already touched on this, but why real estate investment? Like what's your drive behind that? I mean, I'm doing real estate investing or real estate all day, every day. That's, it's something I'm super passionate about. Obviously I'm a realtor, so I work in the industry every single day and I understand the benefits of investing in real estate. So I knew the powers that investing young would then turn over for me in the future. And yeah, I got money in the stock market, that's cool, but I don't really have control over it. You know, I've tried to learn the stock market myself and I was horrible at it. I blew up two stock accounts. I can attest to this. Yeah, I, I lived, lived with Trent in yeah. college and this man was up at like 6 a.m. trying to do day trading and, and yeah, learning was... that whole. I mean, he's always been a grinder around making money and somehow <laughs> creating that like passive income stream. And I've watched him just do all these different things. But real estate has been the one that's really stuck and you've grown in. Yeah. And I feel like I'm confident in real estate. I know what I'm talking about. Not to say I don't know what I'm talking about in the stock market. I just don't know what I'm talking about as much. You know, I understand the stock market a little bit, but I figured might as well turn that portfolio over to a professional, let them handle it, and then I can worry about my real estate portfolio. So since I'm passionate about it, I'm in it every day, I understand the market, that's what kind of led me to want to build a real estate investing portfolio. I mean, my end goal is a thousand units. That's a long term down the road, but you got to start somewhere. So yeah, I mean, we kind of talked about in our last episode, if your end goal is a 1000 units, and you're like already saying, well, I don't know if I'll ever get there, like, you're not going to get there. But you'd said it right there. got to start somewhere. Yeah. So why not buy two units? Yep. And then you recently just got into another four unit, yep. right? I or just partnered on a fourplex with two other partners. So it's just you grow, you start to grow that investment portfolio. And he's not saying he's not going to get to a thousand. He'll no, get there one day. I'm going to get to a thousand. There you go. He's determined. So obviously he's going to get there at some point. It's just a matter of time and capital, I guess, is the biggest no, piece. That's... It's a matter of time and creativity. Creativity. There you go. Okay. I'm okay. not creative when it comes to art. I couldn't draw anything. I can't paint for anything. 
But when it comes to real estate investing, I am Picasso. <laughs> Creative is all get up. Chop my ear off. Oh, wait, no. Chop my ear off. That's Van Gogh. My bad. My bad. <laughs> oh, God. That was a tangent. I'd say my next question for you, Trent, is what's been the biggest benefit thus far of buying that duplex and kind of so far you've had it for 12 months now, almost a year? 14 months. 14 months. So just a little over a year. In that time frame, what's been your biggest benefit to owning this property? I think the biggest benefit is having monthly income help offset our monthly expense. I mean, right now, because it's only two units, we're not cash flowing on the deal. But as soon as we move out of that unit, we'll cash flow pretty well. And so seeing that and analyzing the deal in that regard, you know, it may not be a home run right now when we live in it. But as soon as we move out, like I said, it will be a nice gap shot double where I'm into second base, standing up, cash flowing well, appreciating. And that's what I've learned over the last 14 months is I don't have to hit a home run right out of the gate. I mean, no one- Most people a, don't. Yeah, mo- most people don't pick up a baseball bat and hit one 450 feet out of the park. So having something that is going to keep me on base, keep me afloat and appreciate, which I can just ride that train as long as I want to, is the biggest takeaway I've got so far. And I mean, one example is in downtown Portland right now, studio apartments that are 460 square feet are $1,700 a month in rent, not including utilities. It's disgusting. Yeah. And you know, my wife and I, we pay less out of our pocket every month towards our house or our duplex than people are paying for a studio apartment in downtown Portland, renting. They're never seeing that money again. At least like we're basically putting into a long-term savings account, if you think about it that way. That's a good way to think about it, yeah. too. Is I mean, a lot of people use their home as just a big bank account. You know, yep. It's like they build their equity up. Oh, my God, ran some credit cards up. I need to pay them off now. Can't High balance credit card. I can't pay it off with my income that's just coming from my job. Pull the equity out of your home and use it. Once you have that equity, it's all about leveraging it and playing the game. Yeah. You know, it's just getting into it. Would you say that this first property was kind of putting like your training wheels on and now that you've you've gone through the process and you've gotten through the 14th month point, it's like, all right, I'm about ready to whip these training wheels off and just go straight down the road now? Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's why when this fourplex opportunity came up, I had no hesitation. I mean, my wife is still learning the game. And so she, you know, I had to explain it to her a little bit more. But when two partners approached me and these two partners have you know, over a hundred units, they've done it for years. They know what they're talking about. I trusted them in that regard, but I analyzed the deal myself as well as them. And then, you know, I'm bouncing ideas off them, say, Hey, you know, asking these questions, whatever it may be. Once we got our first duplex, I was addicted. I was a real estate junkie from there on out. And so after about the 12 month mark is when I really started being like, okay, what am I going to do next? Like, how am I going to get my next property? Everyone always says the first one is easiest, the second one is the hardest because you know you put a bunch of cash into that first deal, your debt to income ratio may not be the best, whatever it may be, whatever the reason is, the second deal is the hardest. And so now that I've partnered on the second deal and I've used a different strategy than my first one, I feel like I'm one, gaining more experience in real estate investing, but two, learning more creativity. And, you know, I was joking earlier when I said I'm the Picasso of real estate investing because by no means am I there yet. But I'm partnering with people that are pretty much Picasso. Yeah, I mean, they're creative. They're Van Gogh of real estate investing by putting art in the form of finding financing when they have a really unique situation. 
finding good deals that are either on market or off market, negotiating those deals. And so I'm learning all of that from them while being able to partner with them, which is an incredible opportunity. Yeah, I mean, it's huge because it's like what we went back to in our last episode is like finding that mentor and and understanding that, you know, once you start to do it, more opportunities will come your way. And and this is a prime example of that, you know, like he's done the first one, he's walked the walk, and he's able to talk to talk, and now all of a sudden, all these opportunities are falling in his lap. It's a no-brainer as to, like, why not take this opportunity? Why not jump on it? Exactly. So it's, it's something that, you know, he took the fear out of the situation by going after the first one, and now he's he's into it, and he's hooked. And it becomes addictive. And a lot of things that once you do something first, and it's, it's nice, and it's kind of fun, and you find it a little easy, you'll be hooked so fast. It, I mean, there's so many things. It's any hobby out there. Like, for me after baseball, it was bowling. Like I took a bowling class at OSU and I became addicted to bowling. I bought my own bowling shoes, I bought my own bowling ball. I'd go to the bowling lanes like every single day in Corvallis and it was just a thing. I got so addicted to it. And it's it's a thing. Once you do something once and you like it, you're going to keep coming back to it. Yeah. And going back to the fear thing, which we talked about in our last episode is I never really had the fear of, you know, losing money or the deal going south, whatever it was. But my wife did. And so I took those fears on myself and said, hey, you know, if this happens, we're going to be fine. We have time to recoup that money that we lost. We have time to get a better interest rate, whatever it may be. I just, you know, asked her, what are you afraid of in this deal? What are you afraid of? What's holding you back from real estate investing? And what can we do to mitigate those fears? And I tackled them head on. And, you know, two months from now, if I invest in another deal and the place goes to the ground and nothing comes of it, I'll be fine because I'm not worried about it. I know in my mind, if a deal goes south for me, I'll learn from it. It'll be a learning experience. So what? Next one. Yeah. It's like, it's literally flush it down the toilet. It comes back to any sports, you know. Short-term memory. Yeah. Just lose that thought and move on from it and, and grow from it. I mean, you learn from your mistakes and you become better. And if you don't learn from those mistakes and you keep making those same mistakes, then comes to question you're like insane. yeah what are you doing yeah exactly that's, that's the, the that's the literal of definition of yeah. saying is like doing the same thing and expecting a different result yeah what are your next steps like what are you planning to do with this property and and kind of how are you going to grow it and and leverage and move into something else well we kind of already talked about my next step was i want more units like i said i became addicted and as soon as i bought the first one i was already trying to come up with a way to buy another one the next steps from here are keep adding to the portfolio like I said earlier, my end goal is a thousand units, and when I hit that, I'll <laughs> readjust my goals. But building my portfolio to get to a thousand units is my goal now, and so finding any way, shape, or form to get involved in a property or units, or you know, syndicate something or be a partner on something—that's all that I'm looking for right now. I want more units, and so every hit them up. Yeah, every single day. I'm, I'm looking at deals, I'm analyzing deals for practice, but if I find a good one, I'm reaching out to the people that I know and say, hey, would you want to partner on this? Because I, I know a few people that want to invest in real estate, but they haven't done it yet. And my experience, I've done it, I've done it a couple times now, I can guide the transaction and guide the investment and help them build their portfolio while also building mine. And so, like I said, my next steps are just adding to the portfolio any way I can. And like Alex said, if you have a deal that's off market or you know of a good deal coming up, let me know. Let's partner on it. Let's do something. Let's build our portfolios together. 
Exactly. I mean, it goes back to showing like he's learned it. He's happy to help other people learn it down the process too. Obviously, you might discredit him because he's a little younger, but he's learning from people who are very successful at what they're doing. So if he's already willing to pass this knowledge down to someone and get in on property with you and show you kind of how he does that and then bring you under his wing, then by all means, like take him up on that. And I got a good beard that makes me look a little older so people don't realize that I'm actually only 23 years old. So, <laughs> <laughs> Probably my favorite question, probably the, the most pertinent to our audience is like, you know, since you're experienced in this, you've done a few deals, what would you say are your top three tips for someone who's thinking about making this leap? By leap, I'm saying that they're walking the plank and they're ready to jump off. They're ready to go, but there's something holding them back. Well, we talked about in our last episode, start early. Like I said, I'm 23 years old, invested in six units already. And so start early and start often, keep it going, find a way to keep that momentum going because it's a snowball effect. Once you get one, you want to get two. Once you get two, you want to get four and so on and so on. My number one tip is just do it. I mean, my mom works at Nike, so that slogan's been instilled in me, but just do it. Take the plunge jump off that plank and dive headfirst into the ocean, you know, and don't be afraid of what could happen. I mean, things are going to happen regardless if you want them to or not. The best way to tackle that fear is understanding that things could happen. And if they do happen, just figure a way to make them unhappen, find a solution for it. So my first tip is get started now. Don't wait. My second tip is don't waste your time with all the excuses. I mean, the biggest thing that I hear from my friends who are young like me, and you know, I'm like, hey, why don't you buy something instead of renting something for $2,000 a month? Their excuse is, oh, I'm, I'm too young, or I don't have enough money for the down payment, or yada, yada, yada. Take those excuses, shove them down the drain, and forget about them. Just do it. You know in the back of your mind that you want to do something great, and a lot of people want to be successful. A lot of people want to do something awesome in their life. So why not do something now to keep it going? So tip number two is get rid of the excuses. And tip number three is build your portfolio before you settle down. I mean, my wife and I, like I said, we're 23 years old, we're young. It would be awesome to have a nice 2,500 square foot single family house with a backyard and a pool or whatever you wanna have at your house. But we know that right now we could build a portfolio before we get there and when we get there, our portfolio can take care of ourselves. And so we like to think long-term. And when I say long-term, I mean like five, 10 years from now, obviously the 20 and 30 year goals are out there, but think five to 10 years out where you want to be and then create a plan to get to those goals. You know, everyone talks about goal setting as a bunch of small goals that lead to a big goal at the end of the day. And so have those big goals, have the thousand unit goals, have, you know, your net worth goals, whatever you want to have, what do you have to do today to achieve those goals in the future? And so break them down into literally start with your five-year plan, break that into a one-year plan, break that yep. into a month-to-month plan and break that month-to-month into a day-to-day, like literally so fine print to the point of if you're not following your day-to-day, then you're not going to get to your goal. And it holds you accountable when you break these yeah. larger goals into micro goals, because if you don't achieve those micro goals, you're never getting there. Yeah. Kind of additional tip that I would have is don't go at it alone. We also talked about that on our last episode with having a mentor. I have multiple mentors, whether it's real estate investing, real estate sales, mindset, whatever it may be, have people that you can talk with, have people that are your age that are going through the same process as you 
and bounce ideas off them. Say, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? If it's a good idea, they're going to tell you. If it's not a good idea, they'll flip you some shit for it and you can laugh about it later. But an additional tip is have people around you. I mean, I went through a pretty traumatic experience a couple years ago and the only reason I'm still alive today is because multiple human beings helped keep me alive. And we'll get into that in a later episode. It's a whole nother episode to talk yeah, about. But. We'll go real deep into that. But, you know, without the human interaction and without humans saving my life, I wouldn't be here. And so have humans around you. Build relationships. Build people that you're close with because you guys can go at it together. You know, it's a team. Two minds work better than one. Oh, absolutely. Three minds work better than two. So as many people as you can have around you and build those relationships, you're going to be way more successful together than you could ever be doing it by yourself. Yeah, and so like kind of two points that I have. First tip to you guys, you know, the whole aspect of getting into it when you're young. If you get into it and you're young and you fail, you have so much time so much to change that situation. If you get into it when you're 50 and you start to do this real estate investing and you fail, yeah, that's going to be scary. That's a fear that I have is being old and trying to get into real estate and then failing because you, you don't have much line. time yeah. to fix your situation. But being 23, if his first investment failed, he's got all his life to look ahead of him still. And it's just something where you get into it and you're young, you're going to be way better in the event that you fail because you have more time to kind of tackle those failures. Exactly. What's your second one? If you make excuses for everything and say you have 20 excuses as to why not to get into real estate investing, you're going to spend more time trying to find answers to those excuses and you're going to miss out on that train that we were talking about. And your buddy hopped on that train because he didn't give a shit about those questions or those answers to those questions. Your ass will be sitting over there up in the nosebleeds on your computer trying to get answers to all these questions and then you're going to look at your watch and everyone will be gone. You're, you'll be the only person left there and, and you're going to be like, oh shit, why me? And it's because yeah. you sat there making an excuse for everything. And when you make an excuse, you have to find an answer in your head to overcome that excuse or else you're going to fall victim to that excuse and not do it. So it's just like, don't make excuses when you're going to spend so much time answering those excuses. Just throw those out the trash, throw them into the trash and dive headfirst into it. Well, and going back to what I was talking about with where my wife, she had excuses as to, oh, it's not the right time. It's a lot of money, yada, yada, yada. It's like, it is a lot of money and it may not be the perfect time, but you can't time anything perfectly. Never. The market, never. you'll never be able to time the market. And we talked about this in our first episode. We were like, you know, if you do have some magic little globe, you shake it and it'll tell you all the truths and like, please flood our emails with it so that we know and we can kind of help everyone else out. But yeah. I guarantee there's no one out there with that. So from that being said, it's better to get in the game than wait than it is to wait to get in the game. And so, I mean, I can't remember who said that, but I heard it somewhere. And that, Something that's come up a couple times on yeah. like our podcast is just like, you know, you might as well get in and then wait in that game, like instead of waiting to get in the game. I mean, if you think about it from a game perspective, say you're in a track meet and there's seven flights of runners. If you ran in, let's say, the second flight, you weren't the first flight because you weren't necessarily the fastest, but you're, you're close. You run your time. You got a good time. Great you're already in the game and now you're waiting to see where you finish. And that's the same thing with real estate investing. If you can get in early and then wait down the road to see where your time comes in at, where you finish at, it's a lot better than waiting until the last person that runs and trying to beat the best time out there. Or being like, okay, I'm, I'm in flight seven. And then when the seventh flight's called to the track, you're don't have your shoes on yet, you know? And so, and like I said, I can't remember who said this, but 
it's so much better to get in the game and then wait for your results than it is to wait to get in the game and expect great results. Yeah, totally, totally. All right, kind of tailing back to your first real estate investment. You bought the property and it had long-term tenants in it. Mm -hmm. So obviously that one side was rented out. They'd been there for a while, hadn't been renovated. Those tenants decide to move out. Well, kind of explain your thought process behind that, what you did to tackle that, you know, like, oh crap, my tenants are moving out. It's like, it's a fear that some may have of owning rental properties. Like, We're going to have a vacancy. Did oh, it God. scare you at all? Like, oh no, tell us what you did to leverage that situation. Well, there's a few things that happened after our tenants gave us notice. Before they gave notice, actually, we processed eviction two months in a row because they were so late on rent that we filed for eviction and they actually paid rent like the day before the eviction was finalized or something like that. It was super close to the deadline. So if you are buying a property and inheriting tenants, review the leases and make sure the leases are solid. If it's managed by a professional property management company, you shouldn't have anything to worry about. In my case, it was you know a dude that owned a duplex and he kind of just winged it, I guess. There was no pre-inspection before they even moved in. There was no lease. Uh, I guess there was a lease, but it was like a... Super vague. It was like a word doc that he wrote up by himself. And that causes a lot of problems. And so just keep that in mind. When you're inheriting tenants, review the leases, review their history, their rental history, and see how they have been paying rent and if they're good tenants. But since we couldn't evict them, two months after we tried the last eviction... They ended up giving notice, and that was in October, so we had just missed the prime rental season being summertime, late spring. And, you know, Robin, once again, was like, oh, God, here we go. We're going to have a vacancy. Why did you want to invest in real estate, blah, 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 blah. But I'm like, let's think about this for a sec. When they move out, we can make that unit a lot nicer than what it was, which, unfortunately, the unit was trashed, cat pee, ferret smell all over the place, didn't clean hardly anything out, bunch of garbage left over. And some people see that and they freak out. They lose it. They're this feared. is the end. Oh yeah. my gosh. Like yeah. We're done. I'm we're tanking. Done. I'm losing my real estate investment. Yeah. And it's just like, whoa, take a step back. Like, yeah. Process your situation and understand there's ways to overcome that. Yeah. And so, I mean, the day they moved out, literally the day they moved out, I started ripping up carpet. Started Well, first of all, I had to haul their junk out. <laughs> And then I started ripping up carpet because I knew I was going to put new flooring in there because it smelled like cat pee. And, you know, from there, my wife and I kind of just had a, a plan as to what we're going to do to the, renovate this place. I got a couple bids from contractors because I wasn't sure if we wanted to do it ourselves. And once we got those bids and comparing the cost of the labor and material from these bids, we decided to do the renovations ourselves. And, well, most of them, most of them. So, I mean, we put in new flooring, we painted the whole place, we put in new light fixtures and faucets, and uh, I think that was what we did ourselves. And then we hired out the carpet to go in, in the rooms that we wanted carpet. We hired out the countertop work. We hired out, well, I messed up one of the faucets, so I had to call my buddy to come fix it. But, I mean, we hired some of the stuff out, but then we did some of the stuff ourselves, and that's how we saved a bunch of money during the renovation. And, I mean, we renovated an entire unit for six grand. Our bid How long did it take you to renovate it as well? It took us a month. And you were doing that on your own time when you still have a business that you're working and yep. trying to grow and run. So it's like to understand like the whole aspect of I don't have time. I don't have time. I work a nine to five. It's like, I mean, dude, I saw multiple Snapchats from you that were 
11, almost 12 o'clock and you're grinding, you and your wife are painting at yeah. midnight. And it's just like, when there's something that you want, you're going to find a way to go out and do that. And yeah. it's, time isn't going to be a factor. We all have the same amount of time in a day. Like, can't change the time. You could change when you wake up and start to work on things. You can change when you go home and you start to work on things. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, you have the time. Yeah, like you said, you got to prioritize. I mean, there was probably three or four nights where I was working and luckily we live right next door so I could just walk over but there was multiple nights where I was working on our unit whether it was painting changing faucets light fixtures whatever it was until two three four in the morning because like you said I wanted it I I was prioritizing my time and yeah I worked all day on my real estate business I well I get up work out go to work on my real estate business and then when I got home at night I worked seven eight nine hours renovating this place because I knew that I was going to save a bunch of money. Yeah, it was my time that I was using, but I felt a lot more confident renovating the whole place for six grand when our first flooring bid alone, just the flooring, nothing else, came in at $6,800. I mean, if we would have hired the whole thing Contractors out, value their time a lot more than we do, clearly. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, if we were to hire the whole thing out, we we're looking at 15, 17 grand to do the whole thing. But instead, we did it for six. And don't get us wrong. Like, you totally can do the route where if, you know, you have no idea and you're not handy at all and you don't care yeah. to be handy, yeah. then by that's all the means, side, yeah, like, that's a side note. go ahead and hire that out. But for someone who, you know, he's young, he wants to understand what he's doing, he has a goal of getting a thousand property, rental properties under his name, units under his name, he's going to have to learn eventually to do some things on his own. You know, like, you yeah. can't always go out and hire out work and expect to have this large return and if you're able to learn and slowly start to develop these little handyman skills then by all means you're going to start saving yourself thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars if you keep this path of real estate investing going so and don't get me wrong i mean it was nitty-gritty like i dumped toilet water all over my pants on accident trying to pull the toilet up because i couldn't drain it well didn't have a didn't know i didn't have a suction tool to pull the water out and dump it down the the drain so i tried to lift the toilet up by myself and take it outside and dump it outside i mean there was no waste it It was just toilet water but when i picked it up i ended up like hitting a wall and i dumped toilet water all over my pants i mean for some people they'd be throwing up right there i mean for me it was just part of the work i had my face near so much cat poop cat litter cat piss and it, at no point was I ever questioning why I was doing it. I mean, I have my end goal. You see the units. value behind doing it too. And going through this by myself, and well, my wife helped too. My dad helped and my father-in-law helped a little bit too. Going through this like on your own, you understand what you should expect from contractors. And now on this fourplex that I'm, I'm trying to, we're doing a big rehab on this place. Like it looks like it should come down but the bones are still good. And so I've called, I don't know, 30, 40 contractors to get different bids for different things that we're doing. And when a bid comes in, you know, way up here, I can see what they're doing. If I were to go with that bid, they would make 50 grand in profit just by me taking that bid. But instead I talk to my partners who have done it hundreds of times. And now I realize I have like, Hey, is this bid realistic? Cause I, I mean, I've never done siding or roofing, you know, I asked them about it and I go, hey, is this bid even close to being in the right Favorable? atmosphere? Yeah. And they were like, no, that's ridiculous. And so what I do, pick up my phone, I call another one. There was one example real quick before I go back to my unit. We got a bid for the siding. We're going to redo the siding. 
for 85 grand, just the siding. Our whole renovation budget was 100. And I go, holy crap, what did I do? Like, this is, this is a bad, you know, this is a bad investment. Oh, my God. I started freaking out a little bit. Talked to my partners, and they were like, no, that's ridiculous. We ended up getting a bid for the siding for 15 grand. $70,000 less. And what does that do? That saves, one, a big chunk of our renovation budget. But two, it taught me that, and I learned this from my partner, some contractors bid for retail, others bid for business. You know, if, if a big company has a lot of overhead and they got to pay a bunch of bills, they're going to charge you an arm and a leg to do it. Yeah, you're paying those bills. Like if there's, yeah. if you've got a large contractor that's going to come in and do work on your home, then you got to think about, they have a whole company and employees and benefits and everything that they've got to pay. So they're going to charge premium. Yeah. But if you go and find, you know, a company, maybe it's a family run business. They're a little bit smaller. That's like, exactly what They're going to bid for the business. They want your business. And on top of it. If you find that contractor and you you let them know you're going to be a real estate investor, I guarantee they're going to bid a little lower so they get more of your business. Well, I mean, the guy that's doing the roofing for us, he's worked on a couple of properties for my partners, just got done with a roof for them a couple of weeks ago. And I said, hey, you know, I'm struggling to find a decent roofing bid. I need some help. And my partner called this guy and he's like, oh, I'll do it for this. Came in $9,000 less than the roofing bids that I had previously got. And, and so, that's from knowing someone and using yeah. them in the first place. It's like people understand the value in relationships and understand repeat business. It's like you're a customer if you come into that shop and you buy from them once and you never return. You're a consumer when you come back and back and back. So you want your partnerships, these contractors, you want them to be consumers. You want them to understand the value and I'm going to be an investor. I'm going to have a thousand units under my damn belt someday. Mm-hmm. I need you on my team. I need you here on my, like my right wing. Every time I call you, you're going to be like our business. If you can send and channel so much business towards these contractors to where basically 70 80 percent of all the work they do is from you yeah you're gonna have someone who is head over heels to give you the best deal possible and work for you and not work for some big corporation to make them more money exactly i mean going along with that is if you find the right person to do the jobs like you said they know that you're serious about building your portfolio and they know that you're serious about keeping them on your team. And so you're not going to shortchange them. You're going to pay them what it's worth, but you're not going to overpay a premium just because this big corporation has a fancy office that you have to cover in your expense. Yeah, the $30 you know? million dollar building they're putting yeah. in downtown Portland. It's like, okay, so I'm going to start paying a lot of that overhead. No, no thank you. I'm yeah. going to go to the mom and pop that's in Newburgh, Oregon, who does business the right way and correctly, and they want to earn my trust and my relationship and that's yeah. like people will fight for that shit these days i mean oh, yeah. a good relationship whether that's i mean in anything like even just a good friendship is is something that people go out there for and you, know, you don't want a one-way highway obviously you want that two-way highway and so if you can understand and, and provide value and show them like hey this is going to be a sweet two-way highway in fact actually we're going to build a fucking four-lane highway that's max speed and we're going 90 miles an hour on that shit like we yeah. are ready we are cooking and it's just it's like people people buy into that and find a lot of value behind it yeah and i think it's big to have a win-win situation i mean whether i'm negotiating a deal for a client or myself i want my contractors my clients whoever it may be i want them to make money before i want myself to make money and if when you know if they make money i make money that's a win-win and we're both happy i don't want to get screwed by some big corporation so they make a shit ton of money while I'm over there suffering for it, that's a win-lose. 
Yeah. And I'm on the losing end, which doesn't feel good. But going back to the duplex that we bought, I mean, once we did the renovation, it was time to start marketing it. So we got it up online and we started marketing it and everything. And that was great. Had a couple leads. And, you know, we started for the time of year because it was December. Yeah. Right around December. Because I remember the last time we were talking, we were sitting down with one of your mentors and he was saying, like, to get someone into that home in the event of a, a poor time to rent was, you know, give a first month's rent free for the December to get yep. them in there and then charge them that January and also charge them the January with a little premium because you just renovated that property. Yeah. And so, you know, I didn't necessarily listen to that at first. I said, no, rent's going to be this. It's worth this. But it was worth that amount in the late spring, early summer when people's leases are up and they're starting to move. But because it was December... I started too high. And so we left it on for 10 days. It wasn't getting a whole lot of activity. There wasn't a lot of people looking at it. And so I dropped the price a hundred bucks a month. And at first I was hesitant on that because it's like, oh man, a hundred bucks a month, that's $1,200 a year extra that I could bring in towards my payment. But he told me, he goes, think about it. If you leave it at that price, trying to get an extra hundred dollars a month, but it's vacant for two months. That's like three that's, grand right there that you just missed out on. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of money that you're just throwing away. But if you drop it now and get it rented, yeah, it might be $100 less. But you're not having a vacancy. Revenue's coming in. And you never know, you know, like... You got someone rented at that price already. What's the next, you know? Like, yeah. There's always going to be a rental increase, which is a big thing with rental properties and why we push, like, why rent is... They can increase year over year. Your landlord can increase your rent, and there's nothing you can really do about it. And you're I mean, just going you to have to move out. Up. Yeah, you can move out and go find it somewhere else and pay just the same price. But that's the point is, you, you know, understanding the value and lowering your rent, getting someone in there ASAP so you're not losing out on the big mortgage payment that you have to pay. Like, there's no way of avoiding an extra $1,300 because you don't have a tenant. You can't tell the bank okay, yeah. sorry, I don't have a tenant, like, can't pay this piece of my mortgage this month. It's like, you have to forfeit that and you pay that. That's out of yeah. your pocket now. And so it's, if you can understand bringing someone in ASAP and then eventually, you know, if they turn to a long-term tenant, then obviously that rental increase is going to go up and you're going to make your money back. Long-term, that's what we're talking about here, long-term. So would you say you were short-term minded with like, I want it rented at this like 1600 point or wherever the point that you want it? Like, you're yeah. thinking short-term, like, I need it now. It's going to benefit me the most now. Yeah, your mentor brought the value in understanding like, hey, think long term. Let's put it down a hundred bucks. Get them in there. Get them in the door. Rent it out. Happy. Ten years from now, you're gonna be like, fuck, wow, I'm so happy I did that. Yeah, and I mean, I was, you know, I don't know who said it, but greed kills gains. So, you know, when you got a lot of quotes that you don't know who, who I can't ever remember who says it, but I remember the quote. <laughs> At first, before my tenants moved out, it was rented. When we bought the place, it was a sixteen hundred dollars a month rent. And that was great for the condition that it was in. When we renovated it, I go, wow, I put so much time and effort into this. I'm going to charge $17.95, which is $200 more a month in the middle of the winter. Which, when not many people's leases are coming up yeah. or wanting to move. I mean, in Portland, let me tell you, I, I definitely don't want to pack up a moving truck in December when it's either freezing rain or potentially or snow 30, up here. it's 38 <laughs> and just pissing on you the yeah, whole day. It's, it's just not the right time where a lot of people are actively moving in the market. Yeah, and so, I mean, we dropped it 100 bucks to 16.95, but my property management company, our lease is set up where, you know, all the utilities are on the tenants most of the time. They're either on the tenant's name or, you know, they bill back for them, which, I mean, that 
decrease some of our expenses, which then increased our revenue or our income. But then the other thing is pet rent. I mean, my previous tenants were on a, like I said, a janky lease that the guy wrote while he was and they had that. after a six pack one night yeah. at his house. No, he's in Mexico on the beach yeah. drinking, <laughs> yeah. drinking beer right now. Yeah. But so now that our lease has pet rent, most people have pets nowadays. I'd say the majority of renters have pets. I mean, I'm pretty sure there's a stat out there. There's a statistic behind more people our age are buying a pet before they're having a kid versus mm-hmm. like in our parents' generation, it was kid then pet. Exactly. So it's like our generation's treating pets as kind of our kids, our first couple kids. And yeah. like, don't get me wrong, I have two dogs myself. So it's like I have a puppy. when you look at kids our age, like there's a lot of people out there with pets and an extra $80 for me to rent just to have my pets live with me? Like, sheesh, that's a lot of money. There's that $100 Trent was just talking about that he had to reduce his payment by. It's like, it plays a large factor in it. Plus, you know, pet deposits and then everything else that you can go from there. Shit, I have like $1,600 in deposits on my pets and then another $800 on just me. And it's like, good God, I have so much money tied into this property management company for pets. It's like... Well, that's where I was going with it is you know, we started at seventeen ninety five. We dropped it to sixteen ninety five, but the tenants that moved in, awesome tenants. I'm super excited that they ended up signing the lease. I think it's going to be a great long term tenancy. They have two animals, which I mean, for the two, because one's a cat and one's a small dog, you can't charge that much. But we charge an extra sixty dollars a month for those two pets. I mean, so if you look at it, the total rent is seventeen fifty five. And I wanted to rent it for $17.95. So I lost $40 because I was being stubborn and I was getting greedy. You're thinking, yeah, you're thinking so short term. Like, I need this now. I want my money now. And it's just like that goes back into like everything we've been preaching on our podcast is like long term. Like this this short term mindset is just not going to do you any good in our industry. And not to mention, I used to pay garbage because that's how the previous lease was set up. I would pay the tenant's garbage bill. But now that garbage bill is rolled over to the tenants, which is another $27 a month. So in reality, I lost 13 bucks because I was getting dumb and greedy. And I'm sure you could probably find that $13 somewhere else and, and be like, you could add value and be like, okay, this $13 is worth my time here that I don't have to deal with something on this side of things. Yeah. You know, like you have good tenants, you don't have to deal with a lot of problems. Sick. That $13 can go to that ten- non-tenant issue problem that we had, like, had before or whatever, you know? Well, and our screening process is a lot more thorough than the previous owner. And so, I mean, any property that we manage, whether it's our own or someone that we're managing for, we get good tenants with a good rental history, a good background check. And that's what keeps us, you know, where we're at as a business. Is- this is where he's, he's talking about his com- real yeah, property management properties, company. Yeah. yeah. They, and, do, and, they do a really good job when it comes to managing yeah, rental and, units and understanding leases and stuff like that. And knowing how to word the leases and, and how we can charge you know, this and this. And we're not trying to nickel and dime the tenants. We're trying to make everyone protected. It's not nickel and diming when and the owners. everyone else does it. <laughs> like, yeah. Any big apartment complex is going to do this. Don't get me wrong. It feels like you're getting nickel and dimed, but... In reality, it's not. Like, that's just the nature of, of how they operate. And you're sitting there so comfortable paying $1,600 a month in rent when, you know, like, I'm getting nickel and dime for every as- little aspect of it. Like, all the money that I've put into rent this year for just me and my pets, it's like, it's mind-blowing. That's more than a down payment on a house that yeah. I probably could have leveraged in some way, you know? like. And our company, we're not in it only for the owners. 
Like we want our tenants to be happy too. If there's a problem in the unit, we have an online system, you put in a work order, maintenance request, and we'll come take care of it. Yeah, and we want your living experience good. to be yeah, we want your living experience to be happy and you want to live there. I know tenant you're satisfaction's huge. Oh, my if you gosh. don't have tenant satisfaction, then you're not gonna ever have someone that sits long term in your property and and it goes into fact of if you have a property management company managing your property and they're nickel and diming every single aspect of your customer and they're just creating a horrible atmosphere for them to live in, they're going to move out. You're going to have that vacancy. And now it's a huge problem. It's the, oh, shit, what do I do? Oh, my God, here's my fears again. It's partner with a good property management company that's going to dot their X or dot their T's and dot, dot their, their I's, I's and cross their, their T's. Yeah. You know, it's just like you have to find the people that really put their time into it and understand every aspect. Like, you know, and especially his company, they've worked with so many people and they've done so many situations that just about any problem that's arised, they now can tackle in their lease so that it doesn't come up and it's not a bigger issue later on. You know, it's like you got to partner with someone who's big who's got a good name in the industry and who does it right. And Uptown does it right too with seeing your guys' little like rental screen. One of your employees was showing me like when they were looking at renting your property out and it's just like all their properties are categorized on one little screen and they've all got like, you know, it's just all orderly and and you're not gonna find someone, you're gonna find a good property management company. Yeah, they might have files for all of your stuff, but when you're talking this digital age, like online, everything easily accessible 24 7 help it's just separates separates people for sure well and going back to a good property management company is when your tenants are happy your owners are happy which being an owner and having tenants that are happy we're both winning makes your life so much easier too. yeah and you don't have to worry about the tenants feeling like the property management or the landlord or the owner is just taking from them we're in the business of a win-win like I talked about earlier if the tenants feel that their unit is not up to par we're gonna do everything that we can to make sure that they're happy living there you know if their heat isn't working we're gonna go out there right away and fix it if their bathroom fan goes out we're gonna do everything we can to get them a new bathroom fan someone in there within 10 days or sooner most likely to be honest way sooner I guarantee yeah. that but you know like we're gonna do those little things for them so they pay their rent on time they're okay paying pet deposits and pet rent all that stuff because we know that if they're happy the owners are going to be happy whether we're managing for ourselves or an outside owner everyone's gonna be happy if we do things right and so once we got those leases dialed in the previous tenants moved out and we found new tenants after we renovated the place it's a nice place it's in a great location and it's managed by an awesome company that I don't think me as the owner or, or them as the tenants are worried about it. And the fact that they're Oregon State graduates. That's a big that's plus. That's a huge plus because, I mean, we both went to Oregon State, so we know how it goes. But, yeah. Do you have anything else that you want to add to this episode of experience with your first, you know, real estate investment? Yeah, I mean... My biggest takeaway is to just do it. I mean, it's just so much it. fun. Just do it, guys. Just do it. It's like bowling. Or for me, it's golf. I have a huge golf addiction. You had a bowling addiction. I don't know. I if still you... do. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And so, you know, once you find those hobbies, if it's a hobby that you can make money off of, that's even better. I mean, no. I'm... I can make money off bowling. Let me tell you that. I cannot make money off golf. I'm decent at golf, but I'm not making the tour anytime soon. And so... <laughs> 
you know, real estate is my hobby where I can make money off of it as well as I enjoy it so much because it's a game. It's literally the game of life it or is. Monopoly. It is. I have ADHD up the ass. I love games. I love little, you know, Strategy, challenging you know, myself yeah. and puzzles and stuff like that. And real estate investing is a puzzle and it's a game that literally anyone can do if they put their mind to it. And so... I mean, buy a duplex, buy a threeplex, buy a fourplex, and just go do it. Like, go play a game with it because I guarantee you, if you're like me and you like games, this is a great game for you to enjoy. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. You want to say it's a good note to end on there? That's a great note to end on. And like I said, tip number one, get in the game and then wait. Don't wait to get in the game. Start when you're 23 versus starting when you're 50. That's just like the easiest analogy to put together is yeah. young versus old. You know, there's so much less risk when you're young, younger versus when you're older. It's your life on the line. It's your retirement. It's how are you going to support your kids' kids, you know? Yeah. It's, you got to think so long term. And if you're starting at 50 and you're ready to think long term, it's just like, dude, you've missed the wagon. You've missed every little thing that's been thrown your way. And I'm sorry, but pick up the scraps and good luck. And I mean, my thought process real quick, going back to long-term goals is when I'm 53 or my parents' age, my parents are 55, but when I'm 53, 54, 55, whatever it is, and I'm ready to kind of just go take a trip to Tahiti or go golf in Arizona, whatever it may be, I'm going to have, have an asset that's paid off that I own in full that's been giving me cash flow for the last 30 years and appreciated over the last three years i mean when you're 50 and you want to go golfing like trent's saying you can go golfing with your properties and you're not losing money you can go no. traveling yeah. to, to bali and you can go wherever the hell you want and if you know you have 16 units that all bring you a thousand dollars a month well that's 16k a month that you now technically have as spending money so if you go out for a month in bali and you only spend four thousand dollars on your whole trip you still just profited twelve thousand dollars and you went on vacation and set your ass there and did nothing the way i think of it is when i'm 53 years old i will tee off on like hole one at whatever golf course i'm playing on the 15th of the month as soon as i hit that tee shot i just made money and i'm golfing i'm doing something i'm addicted to enjoying and enjoying yeah. but as soon as i hit that tee shot and i make a double bogey on one i just made 16 grand you know, whatever it is. So whatever, what? That yeah. double bogey's nothing. Yeah, I don't care about shooting an 88 when I'm netting cash <laughs> while on the golf course. All right, all right. Well, good place to end. Yeah. I think next week, you guys, you have to come back and listen to it. It's, it's one of our first interviews we're doing. It's exclusive with this young multi-CEO, multi-CEO just straight go-getter out there um, 20 he's he's our age yeah, he's got a crazy story i don't even want to give you guys too much about it we're gonna let wow. him kind of talk about it but let's just say he came from nothing and he's somewhere now so yeah. um, definitely tune in next week yeah definitely big big time week. coming back next week and listening it'll be worth your while i promise you absolutely and as always both of our socials websites all that is going to be in the description Alex Smagala is a tough last name to spell, so we're not going to try it on the air here. <laughs> Mine's pretty easy, W-E-R-N-E-R, but it'll all be down there. So thank Reach you so out much to for us watching or give listening. Us, give us questions. I mean, his DMs, my DMs, emails, phone calls, whatever it is, you know, we're always available. We're here to answer your questions. It, it'll be something where if you send it in, we're going to sit down for an episode and just tackle people's questions sometimes. So 
don't hesitate to reach out to us with any questions. The next piece I want to say is please leave us a review. Please. 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 We read those. We take those into account, and we try and understand how we can be better on this side so that it's more valuable for you guys on the end side. And with that, I'd say, Trent, do you have anything else you want to say? Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you guys next week for our big episode. Desk Talk out. Yay!